to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com hey slutty scholars in case you didn't know it is pride season and if it's important for you to groom your pubes in preparation then check out manscaped the brand new lawnmower 4.0 and ultra smooth package get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code s and s at manscaped.com Manscaped is the world leader in below-the-waist grooming. It's so fast and easy to use, I've done it in about 60 seconds while I was in the bathroom in preparation for some fun. And don't let the name fool you, it's good for any and all genitals. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is now available in the US and Canada, sorry Europe and the rest of the world. Uh, what makes this waterproof trimmer different from all other trimmers is that it has a 7,000 RPM trimmer featuring skin-safe technology to help keep your bits in check. So it helps reduce manscaping accidents from around the world, a.k.a. U.S. and Canada. Uh, I kind of like the trimming, but if you prefer a closer shave style, the Manscaped Ultra Smooth Package is a three-step kit to help you get there. This package is also designed to help reduce those tough ingrown hairs, which I often get. It also has a cool light attached to it that acts as a spotlight for your body while you're trimming. So it's great for safety, but also fun to look at. So get that 20% off and free shipping with the code S and S at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use code S and S. Prune your pubes for pride season with Manscaped. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week I am welcoming, and I'm trying so hard not to butcher the name, so you'll have to correct me, Jana Rangalova. That was pretty good. Okay, close enough. PhD. She is a New York City-based sex and relationship consultant, speaker, and writer, helping sexually adventurous individuals and couples live authentic, healthy, and ethical lives. She holds a PhD in developmental psychology from Cornell University, teaches human sexuality courses at NYU, and hosts the Global Uncensored Conversation series. Her new online course, Open Smarter, helps people make smarter decisions when exploring non-monogamy. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, let's dive right in. So what, if any, are shitty reasons to open up? <laughs> it's actually a harder question to answer than you might think. But usually the poor reasons to open up is uh, because you're trying to end the relationship. Things are not going very well. And it's a kind of a, a way out, sort of a stepping stone out. But if that's what your goal is, you probably are going to succeed. You know, if you try opening up, so, <laughs> so maybe it's a good reason if you're trying to end exactly, things. Right. <laughs> I think it's often a poor time to do it when things are kind of unstable between you and your partner, when you're not in a good place already in other ways. And so adding this as it adds complexity, it adds a whole other set of layers to it that can create a lot of challenges. And so it's really not yeah. a very good idea to do it during that time. Also during times of a lot of stress, during times of big major transitions, like someone's 
either, I don't know, lost their job or health issues or lost a parent, you know, like, or maybe a new baby is coming along. And so some of those big transitions often are already stressful in and of themselves. And so adding some additional work, because very often opening up is going to require some amount of effort and there are going to be difficult feelings that come up that you have to work on dealing with. And so you don't want to do that when you don't have the bandwidth to do it. And to a great extent, being able to open up requires some level of luxury of having the time and the energy to to deal with the things that are going to come up. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely talked about this on the podcast before, but like just to reiterate again, like there's so many different ways to do non-monogamy in an amazing way. There's no like, I mean, I guess there are ways that are maybe unhealthier, but wrong ways. And we'll talk more about that. But yes, important to know that it is not, and opening up is not the easy way out. You are going to have to be doing more work, more communication. And I'm just thinking of like adult life. And I don't know if there's ever like a time when some of that stuff is not happening <laughs> to like to like be opening up. So if we're waiting for like everything to be calm, it's like you may never open up. So you'll have to decide what your bandwidth is like, I guess. That's true. Yeah. And and I think it, that's a really good point when uh, people who, you know, poly activist or writers, speakers talk about it, they always say, you know, your relationship kind of quality has to be very high when you're opening up and 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 can everything has to be fine and perfect and no uh, it it doesn't it just it doesn't it needs to not be really shaky like you need to have some baseline level of stability and commitment to each other it doesn't have to be perfect it doesn't have to be rosy right you don't we don't always open up from a place of oh my God, things are so amazing. You know, I'm so in love with my partner and we're having the greatest sex ever. And we just want to add more, even more kind of thing, you know? And that sometimes happens and it's great when you can open up from that place. But often we're not opening up from that place. We're opening up from, you know, we've been together for a while, you know, things are good, but they, maybe the sexual passion is a little gone. Maybe I want a little bit of like... Something more. Something more. Maybe there are some sexual incompatibilities. Maybe I want more sex than my partner or I want different type of sex than my partner. Maybe I want to be with a different gender than what my partner is. Maybe I want kink and they don't want kink, you know, those kinds of things. So there, it might be coming from a place of there's something missing in this relationship which is fine because no one person can meet all of our needs and having that expectation is a really unhealthy expectation to have. We're literally setting ourselves up for failure if that's and disappointment. disappointment. Yeah. If that's the expectation we have. So it's perfectly fine to be coming into it from a place of, I want something I'm not really getting here, but as long as it's not a place of, and I'm done with this, because if you're done with it, then just be done with it. And, move on to creating a different kind of life for yourself. But if there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of unprocessed cheating or, you know, other kinds of issues that are still very acutely creating conflict yeah. in the relationship that probably adding more complexity is, is not uh, the best idea. But so yeah, some kind of baseline level of, I like this person, 
I want to continue to be in a relationship with this person. There is enough there, or there are many things there that make me want to continue having a relationship with this person. And I also would like this added thing. Yeah. And how do you help support folks who might feel threatened by the narrative that they can't be everything for their partner? Because you and I know that's true. And, oh, it's hard not, even if you know it, and especially if you don't know it, it's hard not to take it personally. Oh, it is so hard not to take it personally. And there's no easy solution to that. It's funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say there are some folks who I work with who are, um, they don't worry about that. Instead, they are relieved because they're like, I really didn't want to do this thing with you. And I'm so glad you could do that with somebody else. And you're not going to bother me about it. But you know, it, I can hear about it. But uh, that's great. Please go do that with somebody else. But oftentimes, it's like, am I not good enough? For yeah. You? And absolutely. It's true, especially when people have been together for quite some time, and they're pretty kind of comfortable and confident, and they know the commitment is there. And they can really see the opportunity for other partners to take some pressure off of them for things that they don't want to do. And this differs how jealous people are, how securely attached people are, and um, how deeply committed they feel and how loved by their partners they feel. So all of those things can, all of those factors can play a role. But yeah. very often it's hard to deal with that, that we're not everything for our partners. And it's, um, it's a very normal human reaction. And so that's the, probably the first thing that I try to do is to normalize that, that it's okay to feel that there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with feeling that way. When we feel that when we're attached to someone, when we have an attachment figure, which, you know, is our, uh, long-term partner, Anything that will make us feel like, oh, we might lose this attachment figure, anything that might threaten that can feel very, um, very distressing. And this is just a normal human reaction. We've evolved to have it so that we would keep our partners and not kind of just let them go without a fight almost. So I think recognizing that that's okay at the same time, being honest about the fact that they are not meeting all of your needs either. There is something there that is not, uh, that is not, you know, check, check, check every single box. And that you know, just because there's something else that your partner might want doesn't mean that they don't want you. And so what I really try to uh, do is get people to focus on what are they getting in the relationship that they have? And do they feel loved and cared for and feel special in what in that, in that particular connection, regardless of what might be happening with that person outside or during the times that we're not together? And the more we can feel special and kind of taken care of and loved by our partners during the, uh, the interactions that we have with them, the easier it can get to kind of um, deal with that. But yeah, I think just kind of also another way to normalize it is the fact that we all like 90 plus percent of people in relationships report having desires, sexual desires and fantasies for people other than our main partners. It's an yeah. universal human experience. Universal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
so we can pretend that it's not there or we can acknowledge it and then decide what we want to do about it and we don't have to open yeah. up even if we acknowledge that that's the reality we don't have then that might be enough that might be yeah. enough and there are a lot of different ways that you can incorporate and a little bit of that through sharing fantasies, through watching porn, through maybe some harmless flirtations with other people that don't actually lead to anything else. But for a lot of people that even just that like pressure valve is enough to kind of keep that excitement and, and uh, novelty and yeah, fun aspect of the sexual passion that can often decrease or typically decreases over time in relationships. Yeah. Okay. So let's say folks are starting from, you know, from the space of like, okay, I know that I'm wanting more than just one partner. What are some different ways to, to open up? Um, and how do you figure out which is the way for you? <laughs> Uh, great question. And I actually have a whole course on that. Uh, the open. Okay. Well, we don't want to give it away. Go buy the course, but let's, let's get like a little, a little summary that you're willing to share. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. The, the open smarter course really kind of goes into that from the perspective of your unique personality or starting with your unique personality. And I think that's a really good place to start because we do have different personalities. Some of us are high on novelty seeking. Others are low. Some are high on assertiveness or emotional regulation skills or jealousy or attachment patterns or sexual risk tolerance levels, you know, how. Oh, so your, co your course is helping look at all of those different layers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that. I'm so glad you include like the attachment and basically how people cope with things, because these are things a lot of folks don't think about mm -hmm. um, that come up during opening up, like you said, how to deal with those uncomfortable feelings and uh, how you connect with people. And, and, I mean, yeah, you can maybe find your quote unquote equal who's looking for something similar, but you're not the same person. Yep. There's so many different ways to open up so many different kind of avenues and so many different agreements and rules that you can come up with. And the, the chances of you having the exact same idea for how you want to do it as your partner is actually quite low. And even if it is, things are going to happen that kind of fall outside of whatever it is that you agreed on. So there's got to be a level of cognitive yeah. flexibility around that and uh, good emotional regulation skills, empathy, compassion to understand where your partner is coming from, not just where you're coming from. So yeah, we go over all of these things in, in the course. And it really, on one hand, kind of helps guide some of those decisions about what type of open relationship might be right for you, if any, but also help you build some of those skills that are necessary in then successfully navigating these kinds of um, relationships. And I think it really, as I said, starts with some of our basic personality traits like novelty seeking and um, kind of where we land on that spectrum, the higher someone is on the novelty seeking spectrum, the more likely they are to not be a good candidate for especially sexual novelty seeking or also romantic novelty seeking. Uh, so the higher someone is, the lower the chances that monogamy would be a good fit for them. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> familiar with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely been on the high end of the spectrum my whole life, and uh, monogamy <laughs> never made sense for me. I mean, 
this is, it's funny, like this is the perfect podcast for me to be on because I'm a slut and a scholar and I have been, you know, my whole life. And so this is like the, the, the perfect combo um, of, of things. But yeah, so for the, you know, slutty or uh, amongst us, non-monogamy is just not a very good fit. Now, some of us might have good good uh, impulse control and be able to suppress or repress those desires better than other people, but they come out in different ways. And Mm -hmm. it's the best life that we can have is one that is in line with our desires and unique personalities. So I think it starts there and then answering some other questions around First of all, how non-monogamous are you? I think that's the the number one question. If if you look at that monogamy to complete non-monogamy spectrum, based on things like novelty seeking, sexual emotional novelty seeking, how non-monogamous are you? Are you one of those people who wants to have orgies every weekend, lots of casual sex, lots of multiple kind of romantic ongoing relationships or not? So, and, and kind of have that really be a part of your lifestyle and something that is kind of incorporated into into who you are, into your identity? Or is that something that would play a supporting role in your life? Sort of occasional things, maybe not going very far in some of those explorations and and so on. So I think that's one very important dimension of how non-monogamous are you? And then there are Mm -hmm. other dimensions around okay, if there's going to be some openness, are we talking about sexual openness only? Are we talking about romantic openness as well? Because that can really change. It's it's a big decision to make. Are we going to kind of date other people or are we just going to have sex with other people and then how to navigate that? And then another big question um, around that is disclosure and how much do we want to know, especially if we're not going to be doing stuff together, if some level of separate sexcapades are allowed, then are we going to talk about it? Are we not going to talk about it? So that's... Do we get get off on it or not want to know Mm -hmm. at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some of those kind of questions and decisions are what the the course kind of guides people to figuring out um, are the rules going to be kind of very strict from the get go um, or and and kind of going to create lots of rules fairly strict uh, we have to kind of agree on everything before we um, actually are allowed to do it and kind of a it's a no unless it's an explicit yes or do you have more of a flexible rules approach where it's you know not a lot of rules and it's okay to be fluid with those rules. And unless we've agreed to, to something being a no, then it's a yes um, kind of thing. And so there are different personalities that f- resonate better or, or worse with some of these uh, kinds of decisions. Yeah. How likely is it, do you think, that a partnership will work out when you do have folks at pretty opposite ends of the non-monogamy spectrum? It's a good question. And I think basically what you're getting at that point is 
probably an open mono type relationship where one person is going to be indulging in some of these things and the other one isn't. I think that can function fairly well as long as the monogamous person is okay with kind of understands and, um, and supports. supports and is okay. Um, they come up with some, whatever those agreements rules might be that work and the monogamous yeah. person feels like, okay, this, this is, this is doable. Yeah. And I think more likely than not, uh, at least in my practice, and this is probably why they're coming to therapy is I see the, um, you know, the one person who's like, uh, I'm not really wanting this, but I'm doing it because my partner is wanting this, uh, but it's not really for me. And and they're kind of more hesitating, more dragging their heels on things. And I mean, there's always going to be people moving at different paces as you're opening up, which is, I think, can be tough. But yeah, how do we how do we deal with that other than being like, mm, you should probably find someone who's more on your level? <laughs> yeah, one thing I tell people who don't have partnerships already is please, as Reed Michalko says, date your own species. If this is something yeah. important to you, especially if you're someone on the kind of the high end of the non-monogamy spectrum, don't get together with someone who's really low on that spectrum, unless they're really, truly mm -hmm. like, you're cool. You know, it's totally fine. I don't need to do it with you, but you can do it and you're happy yeah. with that. But yeah. And you, and you wonder why folks choose that to me, it, it might be like a shame thing or like, maybe you haven't really accepted it. What do you, what do you think? I, I think that's very often the case that people don't own it for themselves when they're mm. starting these relationships. They don't think yeah. also, they don't think that that's possible to even get like, yeah. or they don't know that it's possible. Yeah, it's not a conversation that we're encouraged to have. So you don't even think you can have that conversation with a right. new partner that you're just getting to know. Um, and also, I think, especially in heterosexual relationships, I think very often the men will, even if they are kind of higher on that non-monogamy spectrum or novelty or whatever spectrum, they will choose to date and marry women who are lower on that because of those, all of those double standards. And it's like, mm. well, I don't because they are worried about being cheated yeah. on or being cuckolded on non-consensually. Yeah. I don't want to marry the slut. The sluts are more difficult to deal with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. You hear that all the time. I, wanna fuck the <laughs> I mean, I guess we are maybe <laughs> I want to fuck the sluts, but I don't want to marry the sluts. And because they are going to be more challenging there in, in a number of different ways, whereas the women who are lower on that. And so I, I you mean harder to control? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> harder to control and harder to own, harder to, and, you know, to some extent, I understand it. You want it, you want things to be a little easier. You know, I can't, I can't blame you necessarily for wanting things to be a yeah. bit um, easier, but it's, um, so I think very often that happens. I see that with a lot of clients and people that I've talked to, but you see it the other way around. I mean, these days I'm hearing more and more from women in heterosexual relationships where they are the ones driving the, the whole idea behind opening up. And it's, it's the husbands who are like, no, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty satisfied. Yeah. We have sex on a regular basis and it's pretty good. And I don't need much more than that. And the women are like, yeah, I need more than that. And so, mm. but yeah, um, it, I highly, highly recommend to people who are dating and just looking for partners, know this about yourself, be honest 
with this thing about yourself? Where are you on that non-monogamy spectrum? And if you're somewhere on the higher end, check in with your partner that they are there as well, even if you're not going to open up right away, which a lot of people choose to do or not to do in the beginning when things are still fresh and exciting and new. Start out with monogamy, absolutely. Build a secure base and trust and all of those things. Figure out how you two work together, how you deal with disagreements, what are your love languages and what are how do you resolve conflict, all of those things before you start adding some of that. But yeah. Be on the same page about that being a possibility or not being a possibility down the line. Early on. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of insight work, a lot of knowing yourself, which not a lot of us have had the permission or resources to do. Which is exactly why I created Open Smarter, because that's what that gives you. It gives you that very clear insight into who you are, what you want, and you know, gives you the tools of how you can implement that if you want to live a life that's in line with, with uh, who you are. But the yeah. first and most important thing is that insight into yourself and a sense of acceptance that it's okay to be there so that you don't make some of those decisions out of shame and thinking, well, I'm not normal. You know, this, this uh, low kind of end of the spectrum is the normal way because that's what they tell us we live in a world that really vilifies uh the high end of the spectrum yeah one of the sponsors this week is dipsy so grateful to dipsy for supporting the podcast and please go check them out for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash s and s I got to be honest, lately I've been pretty tired and I have been loving Dipsy's wellness sessions and sensual bedtime stories. But if you're well rested, and please let me know how, also check out Dipsy's regular stories, which feature new content that they release every week. There's pretty much something for everyone in every mood. For listeners of the show, again, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S&S. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash S&S, dipsystories.com slash S&S. And once you're all warmed up with Dipsy, get that discount intensity by Pour Moi and fire it up with some pleasurable kegels. Pour Moi is offering our listeners an additional $25 off of intensity when you go to pourmoi.com and enter code S&S at checkout. The Intensity by Pour Moi is a sexual health and stimulation device that looks like a vibrator, but it's so much more. It actually tightens and tones your pelvic floor muscles. Remember, kegels are not needed by everyone, so make sure they're right for you, but honestly, it's just a fun device either way. Kegel exercises have been scientifically proven to help strengthen orgasms. They can also assist in bladder control and help enhance sensation during sexy time. The Pour Moi makes it easy and essentially flexes and exercises these pelvic floor muscles for you while you are self-pleasuring. Pour Moi, again, is offering you listeners an additional $25 off of intensity when you go to pourmoi.com and enter code S&S at checkout. And you can use this code along with any code on their website. That's $25 off on top of all ongoing promotions when you go to pourmoi.com and use promo code S-A-N-D-S. Pourmoi.com, S and S. Enjoy your kegels with a kick. Now back to the episode. 
something I'm always pretty curious about, and I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on is like just exploring this concept of um, boundaries, because I think boundaries are key and important and crucial for yourself, for relationships, boundaries versus controlling someone because of your own insecurity. And so as we're talking about like opening up, let's say, let's say I have a certain boundary, but my partner has a stricter boundary that they want for me because of their own fear, discomfort, newness at this. How do we navigate that by, you know, still respecting our partner while also maybe acknowledging that you might be feeling controlled? Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky kind of situation to navigate for sure. And yeah, there is no one right way to navigate. The way I think about some of those things is we have, we all have kind of different levels of bandwidth to deal with some of these things, whether to push past our stricter boundaries or to restrict our own um, looser, laxer uh, boundaries. And so it's right. somewhat of a negotiation in a relationship. If if we come from these, like, I don't know, I, I don't want to use condoms and my, my partner wants to use condoms or something like that, right? We can, um, the, the tendency usually is for the partner with laxer boundaries to kind of go down to, to restrict and go down mm-hmm. to the, the, the level of the person with stricter boundaries. And yeah, like you can only hike as fast as the slowest hiker. Right. So you're right. And, you know, I think that's a fair decision for people to make it. Like I'm agnostic as to the decisions that people make as long as they know what they're signing up for. So if you think that you can continue that, you know, you can stay, you can function at that more restrictive level of a boundary for some amount of time, a lot of time, for maybe, maybe forever. forever, then by all means go for it, but be honest about it. Are you going to really, and how long are you going to be able to do that? I, I, I'm, I'm often quite on board with people agreeing to certain things that are not ideal for certain periods of time to kind of give the other person a chance to kind of explore, get a sense of maybe move a little bit closer to them. And so that we kind of, um, slowly maybe move closer and closer to something that works for both of us. But yeah, it's, um, it's an individual or a couple decision that people have to make. How much am I willing to push past and how capable am I in any given point in time to push past, right? Some of my boundaries. I think we should all think um, of our boundaries as somewhat flexible or, or, or at least certain boundaries are somewhat flexible and, and um, understand that there are different times in our lives when we have more bandwidth or less bandwidth to deal with some of those things. And um, that it's all in a way potentially temporary. And uh, yeah, like even if you take the, the opening smart thing, I imagine that's based on where you're at in this time, in this moment. And so Who's to say how you're going to feel when that stuff is actually happening? It might shift pretty drastically. Yep, absolutely. And we do shift. Absolutely. Like, you know, OpenSmarter has all these assessments and personality tests, like to tell you where you are at, at this moment, but our personalities change, whether because of something random that happens to our lives or because of 
some concerted effort that we decide to put in to changing, let's say, our assertiveness levels or our attachment patterns or whatever. And Mm -hmm. so certainly things can change and then circumstances can change. Partners can make a big difference. We often want one kind of set of things with one partner and we end up wanting something slightly different with a different partner or in a, during a different life stage and uh, phase and so on. So yeah, what Open Smarter does is really kind of gives you the, uh, gives you a framework in which to kind of position yourself at any given point in time and the tools to kind of navigate within that framework, even though the exact circumstances are going to be different as you go through life. I love that. I mean, I think people who aren't considering opening up should do the course <laughs> to get some insight about themselves. Yeah. One of my students, we, I just finished teaching the live version of the course. I mean, the course is online, evergreen. People can take it on their own time. But I just finished teaching it live. And one of my students was like, this course is not just for open. Really. Like this is for anyone and everyone in relationship. It really is about learning your relationship personality, whether you're going to be monogamous or not monogamous. And another student was saying, this was actually so applicable to my life with my roommates. Like while we were stuck in COVID, Mm -hmm. uh, during COVID in the house, multiple people, all of those things around assertiveness and emotional regulation strategies and empathy and compassion. She was like, it's came in very handy for navigating some of those relationships. So, yeah. Often, uh, and I even find myself doing this, but often I think the conversation around non-monogamy seems to come from like a, and we kind of even started it that way, this like risk awareness place of like, how do we, how do we not fuck it up? Like kind of assuming that it's going to be shitty or that there's things that you have to be really cautious of and like, yes, good to be mindful about it. And I would love to, I guess, celebrate some of the, successes that you've heard of, experienced, seen for yourself. So what do you think are some strengths of this approach to adventurous partnerships? Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of examples of that, that I've seen from friends and um, clients who've opened up successfully. The, I mean, there are a lot of benefits. (laughs) Everything has its pros and cons, right? Like monogamy has its pros and cons and open relationships have their pros and cons. And the beauty of of open relationships or some level of non-monogamy, I don't know, when I say open relationships, I think people often think very open, like all the way open. And in my mind, any, like all of that, the, the monogamish versions of openness that sit somewhere in between the orgies every weekend and complete monogamy, that's also a level of openness. So yeah, and I guess that's relative too. Like you said, for some folks, it might feel non-monogamous to share your fantasies about mm-hmm. other people with each other. Um, it's a whole range. Yeah, I've definitely heard people say that they're monogamish because they have shared fantasies about other people. Or I had someone identify as monogamish because his wife buys him Playboy, like buys a subscription to Playboy. And like, that's a way for her to acknowledge that, you know, he has other uh, desires, even though he's never acted on it in other ways. Such a subjective definition. (laughs) Very subjective definition. I mean, and that's what happens when you live in a world that says none of those things can be done or said or uh, acknowledged. And so even just acknowledging a fantasy 
can for yeah. some people feel like such a big step into a world of non-monogamy. Some of the main strengths and benefits that people report are uh, sort of more fun, more pleasure, more adventure, more excitement. Often it's about a sense of freedom. For a lot of people, monogamy feels very suffocating. It feels like a prison in some way. And so mm -hmm. there's a sense of lightness and, and yeah, freedom that um, comes with it. There is a lot of personal and relationship growth that comes from doing non-monogamy because often in monogamy, you kind of have the luxury of ignoring a bunch of things that might not work or uh, insecurities that can kind of get buried, um, uh, destructive pattern of, of dealing with certain types of conflicts and so on. And you don't quite have that luxury in non-monogamy. Many of these things come to the surface and you kind of have to deal with them. So it can be a great um, vehicle for personal growth and, and relationship growth. And so um, often, you know, people report better sex with each other, report greater closeness and intimacy with each other, stronger relationships. So yeah, there are lots of potential benefits. Yeah, I wonder if we could, I mean, I know we can't cover all of the permutations of non-monogamy, but as you were talking about all the different options, maybe we could like try to do a little summary for listeners of like, what are the options? What are the options? Yeah, there are so, as you said, so many different permutations and you can get really lost in, in it. But I think, I think you could probably boil it down to like five or six types, honestly, of how one can do this. One is as a solo person, a solo poly or a solo, you know, casual where there is no primary relationship of any kind or no serious long-term relationship of any kind. And people kind of go through their sex and relationships primarily dating themselves, being their, their own primary partner. And they might have a mix of more casual or more, you know, somewhat, somewhat uh, ongoing, Committed. yeah, partnerships that uh, none of which rises to that level of like big importance where you have to negotiate a lot of, a lot of things about a lot of other people um, with. And then yeah. within partnered uh, non-monogamy, there is that monogamish version of people who are very much together as a unit. The couple is uh, the romantic unit and they only incorporate openness in small ways or in infrequent ways. And that's a big range, as we said, for some, for someone, it could be just sharing fantasies and for other people, it could be having threesomes together or for some people, it could be, okay, you get a hall pass to have sex with someone else once a year, or maybe like, uh, maybe when, when you travel or something like that. So there's quite yeah. a bit of range. It could be, you, we can make out with other people, but we can't do anything else. Yeah, quite a bit of range. But I think the key factor there is that we are the unit and we are the primary connection, romantic connection. And in most cases, I would say the monogamish uh, version excludes love affairs 
uh, outside and it's more of that like sexual um, sexual addition to to the couple whether they do it together or separately and then there is the don't ask don't tell version of basically doing things separately and not really talking about them much which can can work for some people and doesn't work for a lot of other people i actually think it's a it's something that uh, could work for a lot more people than it's working right now because it's like the ethical version of cheating almost like you're doing something because you're doing something with someone else on your own without your partner and your partner doesn't really know the details or is yeah doesn't even know that it's happening at any given point in time yeah but if there is an understanding right so it's like, don't ask, don't tell, except for the beginning where you agree to don't ask, exactly. don't tell. Exactly. And <laughs> that conversation can go in a lot of different ways. It can be very extensive or it can be very kind of quick. And and in some ways, even just shifting the assumption from if we don't talk about it, if we don't have a monogamy, non-monogamy conversation, then we are by default monogamous. That's kind of the understanding that exists right now, today, for most people. Mm. I think flipping that, that if we don't talk about it, then it means we're probably... Assume that it's non-monogamous. Yeah, assume non-monogamous. <laughs> and I think that's a shift, actually, that we would all benefit from quite a bit. Because a lot of people don't want to have these conversations. You know, we often talk yeah. in, in the poly world how important communication is and transparency and openness and sharing all of that information and negotiating all of the rules and agreements and renegotiating. And and there are actually a lot of people who don't want to do that. Yeah. It's a lot of talking. It's a lot of talking. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of emotional work. Having mm-hmm. that information means you now have to process that information. You have to think about it. Okay. So what is my partner doing with this other person? What do they mean to them? How did that work? Well, how does that... Uh, what does that mean for me and our relationship and all of that? Right. A lot of people just don't want to do that work. Yeah. And so I think just shifting that expectation or assumption when we start relationships from the default is monogamy, unless explicitly negotiated, it's open to no, the default is non-monogamy unless explicitly negotiated that it is monogamous. I think mm, I like that. Shift. that yeah. I, that's my mission in life is to create that shift for as many people as possible, because I think it's a very healthy shift to make because of that reality that, you know, if almost all of us are going to experience desires for other people, and then something like 30, 40, 50% of us are going to cheat on our partners, then come on, who are we kidding? Like the more likely option is that we're non-monogamous and not yeah. not that we're monogamous. Yeah. Okay. So we've got monogamous. We've got the don't okay. ask, don't tell. We've got, I mean, the next, I guess, would be like people who are, I don't know if this fits into monogamous, but like the lifestyle. So people who play together only. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think, I often think of the people who only play together as kind of monogamous. And very mm-hmm. often they consider themselves also monogamous and even sometimes monogamous because of that like emotional exclusivity that they often have. Yeah. So, you know, the, the typical playing together is the swinger type scenario, right? When, where, um, again, 
the couple is the primary unit, primary romantic unit, and they kind of only have sex with other people and it's done together um, as opposed to... Do you think, do you think that we can guarantee feelings with that? <laughs> I mean, I think we can make these boundaries of like, yes, you can have sex, but no feelings. And I, I do think that you can control your behaviors to maybe not put yourself in situations to develop deeper feelings, but also like you can't control them in all the ways, no. obviously. No, no. Feelings have a mind of their own. That's what we call, right. call, talk about catching feelings. You know, you literally catch right. them sometimes, even though you don't want to. Yeah. So right. You can try, you can have the intention. There are mu- multiple different strategies, behavioral strategies that you can use yeah. to lower the risk of that happening. But of course it can, it can, it can happen in monogamy. People fall in love with other people all the time, even yeah. when they're supposedly in monogamous relationships. So, and then you add sex to it. And if, right. especially if it's good sex and all that, that, that sets in motion yeah. a whole host of neurochemical processes in the brain that makes us bond to that person. And the more you do it, the more frequently you do it and all that. So, so you can certainly have some, some um, rules and strategies around that, but not control them perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, And then I guess, like you said, then it kind of comes back to, is this something that you can talk about with your partner? Like, yes, you caught the feelings. Can you tolerate, do you need to do something about it? Can you tolerate not doing something about it and letting the feelings pass? And then, uh, yeah, just what do you want to, what do you want to do with it? Can you stay with this like Mm -hmm. this? Yeah, exactly. I mean, when it happens, let's, let's talk about it and see what to do about that. And maybe, you know, for some people, they can transition into that more polyamorous version of non-monogamy where these multiple ongoing relationships and feelings can find space and and room. And, and for some people that's just not an option. And so those relationships might, one of those relationships will need to end uh, in in order to um, move forward. And so it's, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I guess, polyamory is is kind of on that far end of the spectrum in terms of both the how open are we going to be because once feelings get involved and ongoing relationships get involved it's a much kind of i guess extensive level of openness than the more recreational casual sex based uh, openness and polyamory is also on that other dimension of disclosure is kind of all the way on the like we're fully open and th- there's all the transparency and um, and all yeah. that which i i honestly think you know if you think about that on a on a spectrum you know with uh monogamy on one end the monogamish and kind of playing together sex only Uh, based stuff kind of in the middle and then you have like the fully open fully transparent and potentially poly kind of on the other end of the spectrum i think most people are in the middle because normal distributions are kind of the way most traits operate in humans and so i think uh, in terms of in terms of our need for novelty where most most of us are somewhere in the middle in terms of our uh, ability to absorb like the jealousy stuff and the ability to absorb our partners, not just having sex with other people, but also actually having feelings for other people. It's not easy. It's that's a yeah. 
it's not easy. Most people don't want to do that work. They don't want to be in those kinds of uh, situations. So I think, yeah, probably the styles that would work for the vast majority of humans on the planet are the monogamish and the don't ask, don't tell, honestly. The- I can definitely tell you did a higher education degree in psychology because you said nor- you were talking about normal distribution and you can't see us listeners that we're making like, you know, statistical curves with our hands. It's a bell um, curve, right? Yeah. With most people in the middle and fewer people on the ends, yeah. kind of the very low end and the very high end of the spectrum. Right. Yeah. I do have a sort of unrelated question for you as like a, as like a wrap up. And that kind of reminded me of the the scholar portion of things. So you work and have worked and have attended some of like some of the best institutions in the country. Um, Have you had to combat any issues around the topic of, you know, sexology and your own personal life or sluttiness um, because there are some institutions that don't support the combination of sluts and scholars. How have you sort of paved a way to do that? And have you had any pushback? It's a good question that I get somewhat frequently. And the answer is I've been, I've been fairly lucky, I guess, in my professional career. Uh, so I was I was at Cornell, which is a relatively liberal school. I was working with an advisor who was himself very liberal. You know, he was gay. He was working on gay and, and bi issues, and he had no problem with my lifestyle. And I had a couple of other uh, professors that I was working with who were pretty cool about that. And so during my PhD years, I didn't really experience much stigma, I guess, or or discrimination of any kind. I was consistently told by the department that I shouldn't focus so much on just sex research because no one, because no one's going to hire me like all of the jobs at universities for tenure track positions are going to want something that's broader than sexuality. There are just Mm -hmm. fewer jobs for that. And they were very bright. I mean, that's the reality. There are not that many uh, tenure track positions for specifically sexuality. And, um, but I ended up not going into full tenure track academia. I ended up deciding to be an adjunct professor at NYU. So basically a, a, an independent contractor uh, of sorts. And um, so and, and NYU has, I mean, I don't know how much they know about my, my life or, or um, how much they care about that, but I haven't had any issues. You know, I've been teaching my human sexuality classes there and haven't had a lot of issues and even trying to publish papers of, I've not gotten some of the pushback that some other people have. I know I have uh, colleagues who have experienced a lot more stigma and a lot more rejection of their, even of their ideas uh, in, in papers that they had to defend. And uh, yeah, so there is definitely some of that going on, but yeah, I was always kind of focused on the sex research conferences, sex research, uh, groups in the, in academia. And so we're all, we're all kind of studying the same thing. So there was, yeah, yeah. You, you, Well, it sounds like just with the non-monogamy, you found your species and you stuck with that. So you've found a way to fit in with that as opposed to maybe trying to make it work in a setup that 
wasn't as uh, willing. Yeah. Again, I think it's about fit and knowing who you are, knowing what you bring to the table, what's doable, what's not doable, and then finding the right set of circumstances for yourself. And so it was important to me. Like I knew because of who I am, because of what I wanted to do, I was never going to go and study in, in a place that was really conservative, for example. Like I I would not have survived in a super conservative. So I never even applied to programs that were in any anywhere outside of the Northeast. I wanted to be close to New York and not thrived maybe elsewhere. No, not thr- and even in places like, you know, there's obviously the Kinsey Institute, for example, is in Indiana. And there are a lot of people, a lot of the sex researchers are there and affiliated with it. And I always knew I am not going to Indiana. I'm never going to live in Indiana. I would rather fair enough, fair enough. I would rather flip burgers in New York City, you know, than be a professor, a full tenure track professor at Indiana University. I just can't do it. Good to know you good to know yeah. yourself. <laughs> just honest with myself. So Sorry, <laughs> listeners, if you live in Indiana, I'm sure it's lovely. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> but it's not for genre. <laughs> way too bloody for Indiana. <laughs> well, if we do have sluts listening in Indiana, hit me up so we can uh, connect you with other sluts in Indiana. Um, it's all about, well, it really is all about community and su- having yeah. support as as a slutty person, as one, yeah. whether it's non-monogamy or just like just your a regular single person kind of who likes a lot of casual sex, which is what I was for a long time. It really comes down to one, accepting yourself and kind of understanding that you are a normal human being. It just, you just happen to be on that high end of the natural variation of the spectrum. And the other thing is find community, find supportive community. And you know, that doesn't, necessarily mean you all have to move to New York. I'm sure you can find supportive community in Indiana and other places, but um, yeah, find supportive community. Hey, slutty scholars, in case you didn't know, it is pride season. And if it's important for you to groom your pubes in preparation, then check out Manscaped, the brand new lawnmower 4.0 and ultra smooth package. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code S&S at manscaped.com. Manscaped is the world leader in below-the-waist grooming. It's so fast and easy to use, I've done it in about 60 seconds while I was in the bathroom in preparation for some fun. And don't let the name fool you, it's good for any and all genitals. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is now available in the US and Canada, sorry Europe and the rest of the world. Uh, What makes this waterproof trimmer different from all other trimmers is that it has a 7,000 RPM trimmer featuring skin-safe technology to help keep your bits in check. So it helps reduce manscaping accidents from around the world, a.k.a. U.S. and Canada. Uh, I kind of like the trimming, but if you prefer a closer shave style, the Manscaped Ultra Smooth Package is a three-step kit to help you get there. This package is also designed to help reduce those tough ingrown hairs, which I often get. It also has a cool light attached to it that acts as a spotlight for your body while you're trimming, so it's great for safety but also fun to look at. So get that 20% off and free shipping with the code S and S at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use code S and S. Prune your pubes for pride season with Manscaped. 
Well, I am glad to hopefully have you as part of this community now and have you on the podcast. How can folks um, get in touch, buy your course, um, check out more about what you're what you're offering and what you're teaching? They can find all the info on my website, which is drjana.com. That's D-R-Z-H-A-N-A.com. And also Instagram, same, drjana, D-R-Z-H-A-N-A. The Open Relationships course is called Open Smarter, which is on my website. And I also host these regular every two weeks conversations called Uncensored with Dr. Jana, where people from all over the world come into the Zoom room and we talk about a particular topic that uh, we kind of delve into. So yeah, come join one of those. Amazing. Jana, thank you so much for, for joining. Again, listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram, but who knows for how much longer at Sluts and Scholars <laughs> on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, um, slutsandscholars.com to access the podcast. And don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please check out and buy from the awesome advertisers. I test out everything myself. I can't promise you'll love it. I know I like it, but it helps the podcast if you check that out. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.